the Irish Times Inside Business podcast in association with Davy. It's amazing what you discover when you really listen. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. Earlier this week, EU leaders agreed a 750 billion euro recovery fund to help member states deal with the economic damage of the pandemic. This will involve the European Commission borrowing money for the first time and a mutualisation of the debt among member states. So who were the winners and losers in these marathon negotiations? How much will Ireland get and will it be enough? Joining me to discuss these and other issues are Naomi O'Leary, Europe correspondent for the Irish Times, who covered each twist and turn during the 90 hours of talks, and Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times. Now, Naomi, let's get down to brass tacks. It's a 750 billion euro fund to deal with the economic damage caused by COVID-19. What will Ireland get? So Ireland is in line for out of the grant section, which amounts to 390 billion Ireland's allocation for 2021 and 2022 is 1.3 billion. And then for after that, they calculate it in a slightly different way. They calculate it based on the actual economic impact of the pandemic, which isn't known yet. So then the additional part after that isn't yet known. Um, so that's after out of the purely grants section. Then there's a, also 360 billion in loans which are available for EU countries to draw down on if they want but of course Ireland's able to borrow at competitive rates at the moment anyway so won't be accessing that for for now anyway um and then um in the overall package as well um there of course it amounts in total to about 1.8 trillion because there's also the seven year uh, MFF budget of the joint EU budget which was agreed which is just over 1 trillion and in that is a new kind of health benefit for Ireland, which was agreed, which is a five billion fund of assistance to the sectors and member states that are worst hit by Brexit. Um, now, it's not just for Ireland, but Ireland could expect to get a significant amount of that, given that, according to the economic forecasts, Ireland is the state that's uh, set to be worst hit by the disruption uh, to trade that's expected to, to happen on January 1st. Um, so that's a that's a little overview. There's a few other bits and pieces that I can go into if you want. Yeah, of the five billion, do we have any sense of how much of that might come Ireland's way? At the moment, all we know about this five billion Brexit fund is its name, and that it says it's for the member states worst hit and sectors worst hit by Brexit. That's all. So it's just that's all we have, and they're going to figure out the details. They say once they know what the nature of Brexit is, so once they know whether there's going to be a deal or not, which we will find out um, by the end of October. All right. Now, €390 billion Euro in grants, €360 billion Euro in loans. Just give us an overview, if you like, Naomi, of how this is going to operate for how many years, how they're going to generate this money, and will it be repaid? So the grants are supposed to, well, they want to unlock them as soon as possible. They are targeted towards the member states that are hardest hit by the economic impact of the pandemic. Uh, so particularly Italy is in for uh, the, the largest amount. That's partly because it, its economy was in a fragile state before the pandemic hit. And then, of course, it was very heavily affected by the, the virus. And um, so that's really to stop Italy essentially from going bust, from going into a death spiral and dragging down the whole um, Eurozone and the EU with it. The calculation is based on how vulnerable were states before the pandemic hit them 
and also their size of population and the monies being distributed like that. And then for the third year, as I said, it depends on the actual impact that the pandemic has had on economies. The idea is basically that 1.8 trillion in total will be spent in the EU over the next seven years. And this is like a significant amount more than than usual in order to basically invest counter cyclically to try and stimulate economies and stop the recession from being uh, too devastating because there's, you know, it's forecast potentially to be one of the worst uh, recessions in a century. In terms of repayment, there's two separate parts to this. So the standard EU budget is always paid for by contributions from member states. So all the money goes into a big pot and then it's allocated according to different priorities. And of course, the whole argument is that the being in the EU, having access to the single market comes with far more economic benefits than it, it costs in simple sort of uh, contributions versus subsidies uh, accounting terms. Uh, so there's that. Then this uh, exceptional 750 in in borrowing for the recovery fund is different. It's not funded by contributions from member states. The proposal is, the way it will work is the European Commission, you will use its very good credit rating to borrow this amount on financial markets. And then what they want to do is introduce what's called new own resources. And that basically means that the EU Commission would be given the power to collect for example, a plastics tax or a tax on imports based on how much carbon they emit. Or it's also proposed a digital tax as well, which is quite controversial for Ireland. Now, none of these things have been agreed yet. So we really don't know um, how many of these things will be agreed and what percentage of the 750 billion they'll be successful in repaying. Repayment is start is due to start, if I remember correctly, in 2028 and it'll be finished by 2056. Um, so if it comes to it and these own resources don't get agreed and there's something left over, then member states are on the hook ultimately for the loans. And we just don't know what repayments would look like at that stage because it would depend on the respective uh, like fates of different economies in the EU. Yeah, sure. Cliff, so we know we're going to get 1.3 billion out of 750 billion euro fund doesn't sound like an awful lot when you when you put it in those terms. Are we getting a good deal here? Well, I think there was a bit of disappointment in Ireland when the initial uh, proposals for this fund were published by the European Commission in terms of the amount that would come to us. So Ireland is hugely supportive of the idea and, and Pascal Donoghue stuck his neck out a bit uh, a few months ago to support calls from Spain and Italy for, for this fund to be to be created. But in terms of the actual cash take for Ireland, uh, I think there was a bit of a bit of disappointment with the early proposals. And the reason for that is that, as Naomi said, the the calculation was made on the basis of GDP, GDP per capita, unemployment rates, the health of economies going into um, going into the crisis. And of course, our GDP figures are inflated by all the factors we know, multinational accounting and so on, as as, as well as, you know, the genuine growth in the economy in recent years. So for that reason, our allocation was lower than from the total than you might have expected. Now, I think as we look at the summit, we see there, there were gives to a lot of countries during during the summit negotiations. For example, the Frugal Four, as well as reducing the total amount of grants, also got an increase in, in, in their rebate, the amount they're going to get back from the EU budget in the years to come. And, and there were bits and pieces given 
uh, to various other countries as well. And, and the win for Ireland as well, and, and, and I think for Belgium, uh, which is another country that's going to be hit by Brexit, is, as Naomi said, the Brexit fund. So I think that makes the total kind of outcome, the cash outcome, if you like, from this summit look more respectable from the Irish point of view. There's no indication yet of how much we might get from that fund. I I think it's an idea thought up only recently. The details haven't been worked out. The money hasn't been allocated over various years or anything like that. But you would expect that we would get a decent a decent amount of that fund, which makes I guess the total outcome look look more respectable from our point of view. I think more importantly for Ireland is kind of the signal this sends. Uh, to the markets and out more generally that that Europe is 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 cooperating to fight this crisis. Uh, the really significant financial bit for us is what the ECB are doing, acting in the markets to keep borrowing rates down. We just don't want any political upheavals, if you like, or any ongoing political disputes to make the markets nervous about what might happen with the ECB program, to make them to put them in the mood to test them to to test the ECB. Uh, in, in terms of the bond deals of any country. So I, I, I think keeping everything on track, getting a deal is very was important from Ireland's point of view. Yes, now mind you, there's a second front that's been opened up against Ireland, if you like, in terms of the Commission wanting this digital uh, sales tax, for example. And Macron has uh, also talked about um, getting rid of the national veto on uh, fiscal matters such as taxation, which again would not be good for Ireland. Yeah, I mean, we face a, lot, a long fight on the tax front, there's no doubt about that. Ireland had a, a significant win in the courts on Apple uh, in terms of the Apple case a few weeks ago. But there's no doubt that this is this is on the agenda now. And the government's tactics are to say, we adhere to the OECD process. We need an international agreement, which also includes the US for this to make sense. Now, as we know, the US have threatened to pull out of the talks. Uh, the talks have kind of been put on hold for the moment. And I think it, a lot depends on what happens now in the US election in November, because I, I don't think very much is going to happen until then. I think the talks are likely to be pushed out in time to try and reach a deal going into next year. But you're right, uh, there's a lot of, if the OECD process falls, and, and even if it doesn't, there's a lot of noise in Europe, still a lot of focus on our tax regime, um, still a lot of focus on... Um, the IP that's been relocated to Ireland and the huge tax advantages that Ireland got from the first phase of the OECD process. Um, so I think a lot of fights ahead and uh, I guess significant in that context that uh, Pascal Donoghue is now chair of the Eurogroup of, finan- of EU finance ministers and therefore, I guess, at the centre of these discussions. Uh, it doesn't mean he could decide what's going to happen, uh, but it does put him in a pretty powerful position um, to, to, to at least try and guide guide the conversation and the debate, I guess, in, in, in the months ahead. Naomi, there was a, a lot of talk of this being a, an historic agreement for the European Union, especially from Emmanuel Macron and Angela Merkel, and it demonstrating the solidarity among the 27 member states, but it also exposed several fault lines, um, didn't it, uh, within the Union? I mean, it was supposed to be a two-day summit. It ran into a, a fifth day. There were clearly a lot of arguments and there was a lot of horse trading going on behind the scenes and a lot of disagreements uh, taking place. Not a good image really for the EU in terms of showing unity at this very difficult time. I mean, I think you need to look at the time that it took them to agree this thing. It was only proposed in May and they've already agreed it now in July, which is incredible speed for the way the time that these things usually take. Just, you know, when you have 27 national um governments that have all slightly different interests it does it's a very complicated 
uh, venture to try and reach agreement between them. What's quite interesting is the to observe is how the dynamics have shifted slightly uh, now that the UK is no longer around the table. So it's quite widely seen that this would never have got as far as it had. If Britain had still been a member, they would have uh, vetoed it at an earlier stage because of the an opposition to and you know for for joint borrowing, which is it kind of represents you know um, to a certain extent a step forward in integration in the EU and also a statement about a common future. Um, and the the other thing that's happened is with the departure of the the UK, some states that used to hide behind the UK to pursue their interests have had to come out and declare them more openly. And for particularly the Netherlands has emerged as a much more vocal player in the EU. They didn't need to argue so hard previously for what they wanted. They didn't need to argue about it openly when they could rely on London to make the same arguments for them and to be the difficult ones. And what we've seen is that um, we have a new dynamic now where groups of small states will form alliances to pursue their interests. And Ireland is absolutely a player in doing this as well. That's partly what happened with the election of Pascal Donoghue to the Eurogroup, that Ireland formed an alliance with a lot of smaller member states like Luxembourg um, and you know lots of eastern states as well to, to get uh, Pascal into that position. And also you'll, you can expect that to keep going in the future. Ireland will be looking for alliances sometimes with the Netherlands and Luxembourg on, on matters such as taxation. And sometimes as well, Ireland will align with the likes of France when they see eye to eye on things like the need for this co- common borrowing to rise to the historic challenge of the moment. So it's quite interesting to note. Um, the length of the negotiations, it always lo- it's always kind of bad PR for the EU because people see it going on and on and they say, oh, well, they're useless. They're there squabbling, you know. But, you know, they don't do it for their own amusement. Like they they, they spoke through the night until 6.30am in the morning to try and get this done. And the reason they did that was because they think it's important. And they were all, even though there were lots of objections, they were all very determined to find a deal, which was clear. And I think the reason for that is um, that they think that there's a serious challenge to economies. There's something that, that, that really frightens them about the effect of the pandemic. And they were absolutely you know, despite all their differences, very resolute that a deal needed to be found there. Cliff, the Irish farmers don't seem to be happy. Um, they seem to fear that the cap subsidies uh, will be cut. Um, the Common Agricultural Policy, obviously a big part of the European Union budget. Um, so have we sacrificed some money there to get a deal overall? I think the cap uh, was always going to be under some pressure in these talks and, and we've really been fighting a rearguard action for many years to defend the cap. Uh, I I think there's a bit of working out to do in terms of the exact implications for Irish farming and farmers. Um, It it doesn't look like, you know, a massively bigger cut than or bigger reductions in some areas that that, that had been anticipated. And there's some pluses in other in other areas in terms of in terms of what was agreed. And really the direction of a lot of cap spending is is going to be towards environmental, environmentally friendly uh, practices in in farming and uh, assisting in pushing farmers in that direction. Uh, which I guess was probably inevitable. I, I, mean, I think the the main um, the main uh, pillars of of cap remain in place and will remain vital for Irish agriculture and will remain by far the biggest uh, take that Ireland gets from the EU budget each year. We're of course a net contributor at this stage, and um, that's going to continue. But farming is vitally supported by cap receipts, and, and that's only going to continue. I actually 
actually just got Ireland's allocation figures just before we started recording. Yeah, go ahead, Naomi. Over the next seven years, according to government figures, the cap allocation for Ireland is estimated to be 10.73 billion. Now, for the last seven years, it was 10.68 billion. So obviously very tight. And I've asked for clarification on what... uh, whether inflation is taken into account and how, and they haven't got back to me on that. Uh, so I just have those two figures. And essentially what the Department for Agriculture argues is that CAP had been in line for a 5% cut in their view, more or less. And they've managed to reverse that by getting various kinds of top-ups. They got an additional $337 million in rural development funds and also a $194 million from the new recovery fund. And when those were added into the overall allocation, it ends up being slightly more in terms of the, the, the big figure. Um, so they, they argue that they managed to reverse the cuts. It, it is interesting to note that the reaction in the European Parliament has been that the cap wasn't cut enough. So they want to, what, what they call, there's many MEPs that want to modernise the budget and take away from farming subsidies as being, you know, the big aspect, you know, such a, such a major thing in it. So, I mean, I think these figures, we're going to have to pour over them a little bit more to understand their impact. And as Cliff says as well, it's worth noting that overall in the next seven years, 30% of all EU spending is supposed to be towards meeting the climate objective of carbon neutrality by 2050. And when it comes to farming payments, that's supposed to be 40%. So there will be a lot of emphasis on greening practices and greening the economy. Right. Cliff, are we going to have to cull some of our cows? <laughs> yeah, perhaps we will. I mean, I think perhaps a lot of the reaction from the farming sector reflects the deeper problems in parts of that industry, uh, particularly in the beef industry where, where prices are, are, are very low and uh, beef farmers face a, a very difficult time uh, in the marketplace and also this longer term threat as they see it from the environmental agenda um, and, and there's a lot of talking I think to be done there in terms of, of the future of that industry. Uh, as Naomi said it, it, it now looks like we're, we're going to get roughly the same amount of money as we got uh, in the last budget for farming albeit that it's divided up a bit differently but I think in the context of pressure on agricultural spending and uh, the direction the EU budget is going uh, I, you know it, it's hard to see that as a bad result. At Davy, we know uncharted territory can be a challenge. We've been in business since 1926, and since then, we've advised many different clients through many global and national crises. Some will seek comfort in the safe and familiar, while others will embrace the opportunity to try something new. Throughout the years, we've not only listened to our clients, we've got to know you personally, helping us advise you on a financial life plan that suits you best. Davy, it's not just business. It's personal. Janie Davy, trading as Davy, is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. We take our responsibilities personally. Naomi, what's the latest on the Brexit talks? Brexit talks are ongoing and what I expect now is that there'll be a return to focus on them. Now that this box has been ticked, the next thing on the agenda is uh, the Brexit deal. The German presidency is, uh, you know, currently in charge in the EU Council and they made it clear that this was sort of item number two after agreeing the recovery fund. Um, they said that they didn't want to, not through their own volition was it item number two, but that it had been, they'd been forced into that position by the Britain uh, refusing to in- extend the negotiating period and insisting that it needed to be done at record time. 
um, in time for essentially the end of October, the beginning of November is the very, very last moment that a deal could be achieved in order, because it needs to be ratified by the European Parliament and that takes time and you also need to actually implement whatever they decide. Um, so what I expect now is that there'll be a big, a big push for this and perhaps we'll see some drama in September, October over it. Um, but I think that the EU Commission and the EU member states Many of them, I think, are um, they're, they're prepared for no deal. I mean, a lot of the preparation that member states had to do was already done in the build up to this sort of a big showdown last year. And so, so some of that work has already been done and some of the investment that had to be made, that's already been priced in. Uh, so the no deal is, you know, they've they've sort of accounted for a certain amount of it already. And also the relationship that Britain is seeking at this point isn't is so distant from what it previously had that it will cause a significant amount of disruption to trade anyway. Uh, so that makes comparatively no deal not seem like the huge disaster that it would be if the alternative was a close deal. Um, so um, what the Commission has started to do is to start to ramp up communications again to tell businesses, look, and, and to tell citizens, we don't know at this stage whether there's going to be a deal or not. But whether there is or whether there's not, there's going to be a lot of disruption and you need to take a look at the ways in which that might affect you. Whether it's that you're driving on a UK driving licence or you like to take your pet on holiday with you or, um, uh, you know, you you might tr be travelling frequently on, on flights, although probably not at the current moment. But for example, the passenger protections that allow for refunds in the case of cancelled flights or something that wouldn't exist anymore. Um, in the case of a no deal, and also um, roaming charges, that kind of thing. And then obviously for business, there's any number of uh, extra uh, bureaucracy that they'll have to do uh, come January 1st. So the commission is sort of urging people to really look at the details there and see what's going to change for them, whether there's a deal or not. Cliff, uh, how well prepared is Ireland for a no deal Brexit in terms of the state, but also businesses? Yeah, I think a lot of preparation was done last year, but inevitably everyone's been distracted by the pandemic uh, in recent months. Um, I mean, as Naomi said, I, either way now, I think businesses face disruption at the end of this year. Um, they have had a bit more time to prepare and there, there has been work done and there's a lot of work that's going to be done over the next few months. So even if there is a deal, uh, there's likely to be, or there will definitely be new customs procedures, new bureaucracy, delays, uh, significant settling in period for this new regime, because the amount of bureaucracy and uh, and checks that would be needed are are, are, are enormous. Um, so it's, it's, it's not going to go smoothly from day one. I think the, the big difference between a deal and a no deal uh, exit for Ireland now is that if there's a no deal, it, it, it means there will definitely be heavy tariffs, special taxes on, on certain goods moving from Ireland into the UK and from the UK into Ireland. So that's going to price uh, a lot of our beef out of the UK market. So that is a big threatened hit to the, uh, to the Irish beef sector and also to the wider food industry, which would also be hit. And it would also push up the price in Irish shops of a lot of groceries coming in from the UK on which taxes would be would be put. So it really isn't um, it isn't what we need at the moment uh, with with the economy already in deep recession. There will be disruption and delays and costs, whatever happens. But but certainly the cost from a no deal for Ireland, particularly, would be uh, would be higher again. Now, I mean, just getting back to the one point three billion um, euro that's set to come Ireland's way from this recovery fund. Um, what will actually happen to it? Do we know how the government is going to use that money, how it's going to disperse it? 
So here's how it works. The governments have to come up with a proposal for things they want to invest in. And it's encouraged that these big investment programmes should be along the lines of the overall strategic goals of the EU, um, which are particularly uh, tackling climate change, greening economies and digitalisation. So the government could come up with a plan to build a big grid for electric cars or to um, extend broadband uh, or, you know, something like that. And then it would make that, it would draw up a plan and give it to the EU Commission and the Commission would then approve it. And under the new checks that were pushed for by particularly the Netherlands this weekend, um, it will then need to be approved as well by the council, by the national leaders, by qualified majority. And then the money will be issued out according to that plan. And then that plan is, is followed through on uh, so investment programmes. So it's not that the money sort of just arrives in the, the government's bank accounts and it can spend it any, anywhere it wants. It has to make a proposal and then that gets signed off on and then it gets the money. But it is a it is a big opportunity, you know, it's an opportunity for for spending um and for coming up with ways to, you know, put the economy basically in a better position to face the future. That's the kind of thinking behind it. Sure. Well, we might finally have found a way to pay for the national broadband plan. Um, Cliff, that brings me neatly on to the stimulus plan, which the government is due to announce this week, uh, possibly tomorrow. Uh, it's estimated that it'll be of the order of 7 billion euro. I'm not sure if this 1.3 billion is going to feature as part of those numbers or whether it might be separate to that. But what should we expect from it? Yeah, I think that they'll probably keep the 1.3 separate, I, I, I would expect. But um, look, it would be a help looking towards next year if you're planning extra investment in areas like renewable energy and the budget in um, October, for example. In terms of the stimulus package this week, I think you're, you're right that kind of the indications are that the headline figures will be six, seven billion or whatever. Just need to be a little careful in terms of the exchequer bit of that because some of that will come in, for example, guarantees on, on lending uh, and and the exchequer won't be won't be exposed uh, unless all the businesses go bust and none of the money is repaid. Um, then the, the the net cost to the exchequer will, will will be a good deal lower. But nonetheless, it is significant for business. I think there's a couple of things to to watch out for. One is that the wage subsidy scheme, which has been really important in terms of employers keeping people at work, is going to be extended out. Uh, interesting to see for how long. The indications are that it might go into next year, but will it, will it go in? to next year generally? Will it be cut back? Uh, will it be restricted to some sectors uh, rather than more widely? But I think what, whatever happens, there will be an effort to give some certainty to businesses uh, to allow them to keep people on. Um, the second uh, thing to look out for, I think, are the details of the credit guarantee scheme. We already have a lot of those um, because the draft legislation has been published, but um, something may be said about um, the interest rate at which the loans may be given out at or the terms at which the loans may be given out at. Uh, they will certainly be below market rates for businesses. <clears throat> there is a fear that businesses don't want to take on more debt. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, this, this will be a significant part of the, of the additional spending. Uh, and the third thing then is that there was a, an announcement of a, a restart grant for businesses uh, a few months back between 2,000 and 10,000 euro basically a refund of money that they would have paid in rates. So that's going to be increased pretty significantly in, in, in a cash amount, could go to fifteen or 20,000. And the people who, who are the groups, the businesses who are going to be able to apply 
will be extended as well. So some self-employed people, some people who wouldn't have to rates bills to, to reclaim uh, will be included in that as well. So a fairly significant move, I guess, to help SMEs go, get back up and running. And, and the final thing then is there, there will be some sectoral measures, some, some measures aimed at the worst hit sectors, um, speculation and, and a likelihood of some kind of uh, incentive for people to take holidays in Ireland in the autumn and into next year, perhaps. The problem with that really is that you end up paying for people for people's holidays in in, in in a large cases the people would have gone on the holidays anyway uh, so there's a question about how, how much extra activity you're really going to create and how that really helps businesses but look we'll have to wait into the detail on that the other thing I think is that the government's going to want to keep a bit of firepower in reserve for, for two reasons one is Brexit which we've already spoken about uh, money will be needed to support businesses for that and the other is we, we just don't know what's going to happen with the virus is there going to be a another close down of parts of the business sector later in the year. The government will try and avoid that, of course. But if, say, parts of the retail industry are uh, had to be closed again or parts of the uh, restaurants or, or the entertainment sector or whatever, some of which is reopened, then there, there, there may be some firepower financially needed uh, to reintroduce uh, measures then again uh, in, in the autumn. So I think for those reasons, we'll see a fair bit of spending tomorrow, but the government will try and keep something in reserve as well. All right, can we afford it? Can we afford it? We can. I think we need to we need to look at this uh the spending in two different ways. There's a lot of one-off spending here to help help support jobs and to help support people who've been laid off. Interest rates are rock bottom in the market. We can afford to borrow and spend that once-off money. I think where this could get difficult in in a budget sense is spending commitments that continue year after year after year. So we're putting more into the health service, putting more into social welfare, we're putting more into education, perhaps. Uh, public transport is going to cost more to run. All, the, all those kind of things, are those bills are likely to continue over the next few years. So I think Pascal Donoghue won't be having the headaches about the uh, the wage subsidy scheme or the pandemic unemployment payment because he knows they're going to be one-off. I think the things that are going to be keeping him awake at night are the costs that are going to continue in the years ahead and trying to make some assessment of how that's going to feed into the budget deficit and the national finances. We won't get to that till October, I don't think, till um, the National Economic Plan and uh, and the budget, which uh, is going to be something of a reckoning, I think, in terms of what we can afford over the next few years. OK, well, we'll come back to that later in the year. Uh, my thanks to Cliff Taylor and Naomi O'Leary in Brussels. OK, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Naomi O'Leary and Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times. Thanks also to our sponsor, Davy Group, for its continued support. Suzanne Brennan produced the show with JJ Vernon on sound. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care and stay safe.